You're listening to the RV Homeschool Podcast, where we make travel educational and fun. Grab your passport and put away your citrus, because we're heading to Banff National Park in Canada. Thank you for listening to the RV Homeschool Podcast. I'm your host, Amber Steuben. We've had a great year of adventures in our Jayco Seneca and a lot of fun places and uh, great family memories, but I think that one place has really stood out above a lot of the others, and that for us was Banff National Park in Alberta, Canada. So we went to Banff the end of June. Well, I guess actually technically our first day was July 1st. So it was the first week of July, and a lot of our um, advice and tips will kind of relate to that time of year. But also in general, if you're just planning a trip to Banff or even just to Canada in general, I think a lot of the information that we have here today will be helpful for you. The first thing that I wanted to talk about was the pre-trip planning. So, you know, heading off to Canada is probably not the kind of thing that you're just going to get into your RV and decide to drive to for the day. So we, um, we actually did something not too much more planned than that. We were in Zion the second week of May and said, hey, let's go to Glacier and Banff next month. <laughs> so we decided about five to six weeks in advance that we wanted to do this trip And um, amazingly, we managed to get it done, but I would not recommend doing it that way. I think the best way to do a trip for Banff and even Glacier is really to try to plan this a year ahead if you can, because you're just going to have much more opportunities to have the camping situation that you want and go to the different events and just be able to make sure that the trip goes smoothly. Um, It ended up working okay for us, and we're definitely glad that we did it, but I think um, planning in advance would work a little bit better. We're actually now planning for a September trip next year to Vancouver, and we'll probably drop through Banff on the way. And I'm excited to be able to plan this much further in advance this time around. So the first thing is that you're going to want to book your RV camping if you can far in advance. And by that, I mean January. So if you go to the Parks Canada website, and I'll link that in the show notes, they open up their camping for the summer season and fall on in January. And I don't know if it's directly January 1st or if it's just sometime in January and you need to check on that. But if you can know your dates in January, you're going to have your best shot at actually getting one of the RV campsites that are located within Banff National Park. By the time we tried to book, which of course was five to six weeks in advance, there was absolutely nothing in Banff at all. And we ended up staying outside of Canmore. And I'll talk more about that at the end of the podcast when I always talk about where we stayed. But if you're able to book in January, you're likely to get one of those spots for the summer months that's at the campgrounds within the actual park. And that's really ideal because so many things in Banff are pretty far away. It's a bit of a drive and there's very limited parking. So the closer you are to the things that you want to see, the better that's going to be. Plus, you have a better shot at being able to be at some of those sites first thing in the morning, and and you're just surrounded by some of those sites, so it's easier to shuttle or travel to those areas. So I highly recommend trying to book your camping 
far in advance. So in January, when it opens up for April and all through the summer and the fall season for the Canadian parks, that's the time to book. They actually have very reasonable rates for camping. I think we paid $40 a night, so nothing out, nothing outrageous, pretty on par with what the U.S. state parks would have, or um, maybe a little bit more than our national parks usually have, but pretty reasonable. And that it was for um, full hookups. And well, but what I mean by full hookups are having electrical and then maybe having water at the site. We didn't have any septic septic at our site. And I'm not sure that any of the sites anywhere have that as a typical thing like we are maybe used to at private campgrounds here in the U.S. So um, another thing to know is that there's not boondocking allowed in the national forest there. So in the U.S., we're used to having all this national forest space. And as long as you're parked so far from the road, you're allowed to just boondock and stay there. You can't do that in Canada, or at least you can't do that within Banff National Park. So you do need to make sure that you have a reservation. And there's not a bunch of independent RV campsites either that you can just reserve at. You're you're really looking at being part of the, the state or the national park system for those reservations. So very important, try to have a reservation. Even though we had only planned this five to six weeks in advance, we made sure we still had a reservation somewhere where we could put our... 37-foot Jayco because we weren't just going to be able to park at a Walmart for the night. And you won't be able to either. So be sure to plan ahead on that. So that was the first thing, booking your RV camping ahead of time. The second thing to know is that you'll need a passport. So don't let this go to the last minute like we did. Um, We actually didn't even have passports put together for the girls because we had never needed them. You have two options, really, when you're traveling to the to Canada from the U.S., if you're a U.S. citizen. You can do a full passport, which, of course, will let you go worldwide, or you can just do a passport card. The card only allows you entrance into Canada and Mexico. So um, it's a lot more affordable. So I think for the kids, it's $15 for a passport card and $30 for adults. So that's a nice price. And um, if you're having to get a whole family of four or, or more kids, that might be the way to go, especially if you're only planning on going to Canada and Mexico. We plan to do some stuff in the um, Virgin Islands and down in the Bahamas and stuff in this next few years. So we wanted to go ahead and get the passports. Um, for the passports, it's $80 for a child and $110 for an adult. That's for a brand new passport. I don't remember what the renewal fee was, but I think that it wasn't that much lower. Um, the passports take about four to six weeks is what they say for the new passports. Now we received the girls' passports within about, I think it was maybe three weeks. It was definitely within four weeks. We had both of the girls' passports, but our passports took a little bit longer. Um, Jeremy and I actually had passports, but I decided to just pull them out and I thought, well, why don't I just pack this stuff and put it in the RV? And I looked at them and realized they expired the month before. So be sure to check that. That's the kind of thing where you can um, remember that you had passports, but not realize that they have expired. So we had to send ours off to get renewals. And they said it was four to six weeks. We were leaving in five weeks and five days from the point that we mailed the passports. So I thought, you know what? I'm just going to gamble it. I'm pretty sure they'll get back in time and it'll be fine. So like I said, we got the girls' passports within, I think it was three to four weeks, and I was super excited, and then we kept waiting, and we didn't have ours. And so maybe at about the five-week mark, um, well, a little before that, four-week mark, I called, 
And they, um, the website actually said that they were now processing passports in six to eight weeks. So this had changed from the point that we mailed them off, and now it was taking six to eight weeks. Wasn't notified or anything. <laughs> Just realized all of a sudden that it was going to take more time. You can pay for expedited service for your passport, but it's $60 extra per passport. So when you're talking a family of four, you can easily spend a thousand dollars just trying to get your passports if you have to expedite it. So I didn't do that right away. I thought I would gamble with it. But then when we called and realized they weren't going to have ours done in time, we paid to expedite them. Um, we only had to pay it on the adults because we already had the kids, but uh, we did have to go ahead and pay that. And then it took them about a week from that point in time. Our passports arrived the day that we were driving to Glacier. So nothing like waiting to the last minute. (laughs) A worst case scenario, if you pull out your passports, you knew you had them and you're heading out the next day or in a few days and you realize they're expired or that you don't have it anymore or something happened to it, you can go to a few centers across the U.S. and actually get a same day passport. Denver happens to have one of those. So we have one here close to us, but you have to be traveling in the next few days. And there's only a few of these sites across the country. So um, you might be traveling to another state to try to get that passport done in time. So do your passport ahead of time, and then you won't be worrying about it like we were up until the last minute. The last thing to know about is don't forget your pets. So if you are traveling and bringing one of your pets with you, dog or cat, we were bringing our greater Swiss mountain dog Maria with us. You have to have their proof of rabies and it's a good idea to just have their full immunization record. So we just had a copy of the documents from the vet's office. And when we handed over our passports at the border, we handed over the dog's immunization record with the rabies proof as well. So that will be required. If you're traveling with an animal, don't forget about their records as well. And when we get back from break, we're going to talk about crossing the border in that experience. So we were very nervous about crossing the border, and I don't know why. We're law-abiding citizens, and we shouldn't have any reason, but we were wondering what it would be like, and we tried to watch a few RV videos, and um, I think RV Travel Love had something, and they were talking about some friends of theirs whose RV was just ransacked, and and, um, things were just torn apart, so we were expecting this horrible experience, and that is not at all what the experience was like, so it was definitely not scary at all. And, um, quite honestly, the, on the Canadian side, everybody was super nice. The, the gal that we had for border patrol was super nice. And then, um, the U S side, they were maybe a little bit more questioning, but that was fine too. So a few things to know about the border is that the border doesn't open until 7 AM. And we found this out because we were trying to leave from Glacier and head up into Canada. We were trying to get to Banff in time to see all of the Canada Day celebration because we were going to be there July 1st. And there was a parade that started at like 11 or 11.30. So we were trying to leave Glacier and get all the way up to the campground and then drive the Jeep into downtown Banff for the day to make it in time for the parade. And that didn't happen mainly because the border didn't even open until 7 a.m. So what will happen if you're there before 7 is you're just going to be in this row of cars or RVs or anybody else who's waiting there for the gates to open at 7. So don't bother trying to get to the border before 7 because it won't be open. 
Um, the other thing to know is have your documents ready. So have your passports ready, have your dog's immunization records ready. If you are bringing a firearm in with you, because maybe you're going on a hunting trip and you have a specific firearm that's allowed in Canada, then be sure you have all those documents together too. We chose not to bring any firearms with us. Um, we were not going on a camping or a hunting trip or anything like that. And they do not allow handguns in Canada. So it's better just not to even bring that unless you absolutely have a reason that you need a hunting rifle or something and, and you want to deal with all of that because you are going to have to declare it. You're going to have a longer wait. You're going to have to have it inspected. It's, it's just going to take more time. So if you don't need it and you probably don't just leave the guns at home. The other thing you need to make sure to leave at home, any citrus. So they were actually very adamant about this on both the Canadian side and the U S side. They wanted to know if we had any oranges or limes or lemons. So they wanted to make sure we were not bringing any citrus into the country. And I think this has to do with some sort of growth or something that is damaging the citrus crops and they don't want that spread up to Canada. So they were very specific about that, really as specific as they were about making sure we didn't have any firearms with us. The other questions that they asked us, oh, they asked if we had any weapons on us, which we did not. Um, they wanted to know how many days we were going to be in Canada, where we were going in Canada, what the purpose was in traveling there. Um, and then, like I mentioned, any citrus, firearms, and weapons. The one thing that we did bring in with us was the bear spray, and they didn't specifically ask about bear spray, so I feel okay that that was okay to bring. I tried to research it ahead of time and couldn't find a definitive answer about whether or not we could bring our bear spray with us. We were in Glacier before heading to Banff, and then after spending some time in Banff, we went back down to Glacier on the other side. So, of course, we needed bear spray with us. That's just common sense if you're going to be hiking around in Banff or in Glacier, um, although really where we saw the grizzlies were in Glacier. So you want to have your bear spray, and I suppose you could buy it when you get up there, but it's going to cost you a lot more money to buy it up there. And um, if you already need it on the other side of the border, you probably can probably want to bring it with you. But verdict is still out as to whether or not it's really allowed. So um, I'm just going to leave that. Not quite sure if it truly fully is considered something that's allowed. The other thing is to have your sunglasses off, have your hats off. Just don't look like you're concealed and hiding in any way. So just have your have your shades off and everything so you can look somebody in the eye and answer the questions and just be able to um, explain to them why you're coming through and traveling and everything. The other thing to know about crossing the border is to fill up on your gas before you cross the border. At first, I was super excited when I pulled up the pilot flying J app. And I th said, Oh wow, look in Calgary, how cheap the gas is. We have diesel and we have a 37 foot RV. So you can imagine we go through a lot of diesel gasoline. And when I pulled up the pricing outside of Glacier, it was something like 380 for a gallon. And I thought, Oh man, it's so high. But when you pulled it up for Calgary, it was only $1.20. And I thought, wow, that's amazing. It's it's so cheap. Why is it so cheap? We must really tax our gasoline. No, that's not the case. Fortunately, I realized this before we left. Their pricing in Canada is based on the liter and not on the gallon. So we're used to seeing gasoline prices per gallon, and they price it per liter. So if you think about multiplying it by you know four, it'd be a little less than four. That's actually the price that you're paying for the gas. So for us, that would have been four to five dollars a gallon for the diesel 
gas. So we went ahead and just filled up when we were still in Montana and had that out of the way so we wouldn't have to fill up while we were up in Canada. But if you do need to fill up, just know that it is going to be more expensive than what you're used to here in the U.S. Once we crossed into Canada, we were pleasantly surprised to get a text from Verizon saying that our talk, text, and data would be just like normal because it's still considered part of the domestic plan. So that was super exciting. I wasn't actually sure how the phone text situation was going to work, but that is just like normal. Now, the data isn't really like normal. We got 0.5 gigabytes per day. And let me tell you, when you're not paying attention and you don't realize, 0.5 gigabytes goes by in no time. So we were using Apple Maps to help navigate to our campsite, which was about three and a half hours from the border up past Calgary and then over to the Bow River. And we ran out of data in about two hours of just navigating with the map. So I probably was on Instagram and Facebook a bit then too, but whatever the case is, we were without data within just a few hours. And that was it. We couldn't get more data. So we could talk on the phone, we could call uh, family and stuff like that, but we did not have data. So little things like, I just want to check the weather today, couldn't do it. Um, I just want to see where something is in terms of a, a map. Couldn't do it. And we are so used to those phones being able to answer every question for us that I probably wasn't properly prepared when it comes to maps. Our stereo system has uh, Garmin maps set up within it, but we found that it had some of the larger highways. So it got us through Calgary. It got us up to Banff National Park, but it couldn't quite figure out where we needed to go for our campground. And apparently there is a download that is Canada specific to have those further details, but I didn't know about that ahead of time. So we didn't have that loaded into our system. If you do use some sort of Garmin system on your RV, you might want to see if it has any sort of download that's specific to Canadian maps. We also had a paper atlas, you know, just a typical like National Geographic atlas with, with all the Um, areas and it had specifically to Alberta, but it wasn't necessarily super detailed to find some of those smaller roads. So it had the main interstates, but it didn't have the small detailed roads. When we head back to Canada next September, I'll try to make sure that we have much more elaborate maps so that we're not in situations where we're not sure the rig's going to make it through a tunnel or on a certain road um, because we weren't quite prepared for that. It ended up being okay. If you're coming up from Glacier, you're going through Calgary, you're staying on Highway 1, and then you're going over to Banff, you'll be fine. There's not any tunnels or hard roads to pass or anything like that that you're going to have a trouble with. Um, and that's even with us having a 37-foot RV and towing, it, it was totally fine. But if you're going to be doing more exploring or obviously heading further north, um, prepare a little bit better than I did. <laughs> And when we come back from the break, we're going to talk about Banff National Park. So Banff National Park is set up a little bit differently than the way the national parks are in the U.S., So think about this for a second. If you've ever been in South Dakota traveling on I-90 West, you may eventually go past Badlands National Park. And as you know, you exit from the main Interstate 90, and then you can go off and do this bypass road that takes you through Badlands National Park. 
And at that point, that's when you show your parks pass or you have to pay for the park entrance and um, you can park in there. You're part of the national park there. And then when you exit, you get back onto Interstate 90 and you continue on your way. Some people don't even stop. They're just taking I-90 through South Dakota and they're not going to see Badlands at all. Now imagine that instead of exiting the exit to get to Badlands, that all the traffic on I-90 is stopped and there is a gate there where you have to pay entrance to Badlands National Park just to continue going on the highway for I-90. That's how Banff National Park is. So instead of being this exit where you're just on Highway 1 and you exit off and then you have Banff National Park around you, the entire area, including the highway, is part of Banff National Park. So all of a sudden, all the highway traffic comes to a stop and they have multiple little hut set up and then they have the entrance people and they're taking the entrance fees and then you continue on your way. It moved pretty quickly, but I had just never seen anything like that where the federal highway is just stopped and you have to pay an entrance fee to the park to continue going. So that was interesting for us to see. One thing to know also about the way Canadian parks do their pricing is that it's a little bit different than U.S. parks. So they have a pricing of of the price per day, per person, per vehicle. So what I mean by that, oh, and kids are free, so that's cool, that's great. The adults were basically about $10 a day, so it was like $9 something, and that's Canadian dollars, so a little cheaper US, but it's about $10 a day, per day, per vehicle. So for example, we had the RV with us and we had a Jeep. So, and two adults. So we would be paying $20 for the two adults per day. So $20 per day that we wanted to be at the park per vehicle. So that's $20 for the RV and $20 for the Jeep. Doesn't matter that we're towing it behind and they're kind of all together. You're still paying per vehicle. It's kind of like in the U.S. when you have a toll road and you have to pay per axle for the toll pricing that you pay. It's the same type of thing. So they're charging you per vehicle per day. Now, the nice thing about the day is that the day actually goes for that day that you're there all the way through the next day at 4 p.m. So that really gets you through most of the next day if you're if you're heading out that next day. It gets you most of that day. So um, you are kind of getting you know a full 24 plus hours on that payment. Now, one little cool thing to know is if you go on Canada Day, which is July 1st, it's free. The national parks are free for the day, and the parking throughout Banff is free for the day. And I was expecting that to be a good 20 dollars per day. So super exciting for us. We just showed up, and we were expecting to pay you know, $80 for the different days that we were going to be there and the multiple vehicles. And they said, nope, it's free. Enjoy. Happy Canada Day. So that was pretty awesome. A couple side notes about Canada Day that I just want to say real quick because Canada Day was super cool. They have, in Banff, they have a parade that they do in the morning. Like I said, I think this was about 11, 11.30. There's free admission to the park for the day. There's free parking for the day. They set up these tents for vendors, like food vendors and sales vendors and music, a musical stage that's down by the river. And then there's a main square area where they set up a big children's area and they had a magician there. They had some native Canadians, like the tribal dancing that was going on. They had Scandinavian dancing going on. 
they had multiple bouncy houses. So the kids just waited in a line and then they were able to go on the bouncy houses for free. You would never see that in the U.S. for free. And then they had these huge water stations. Uh, it was like this big pulled-in water station so you could refill your water bottles throughout the day. So uh, I would have to say that Canadians know how to do festivals and parties really nicely. So Canada Day, super cool. If you're there on July 1st, try to check it out. Very neat. It was a little crowded probably because of Canada Day, but uh, we didn't mind. It, it wasn't... Um, it was still worth it to go there and be there on that actual day. I will say in general, though, that Banff National Park is insanely crowded. So we have been to 23 national parks in the U.S. in the last year and a half, and this has included places like Yellowstone and Glacier, Zion, Rocky Mountain National Park, Smoky Mountains. None of these parks were as busy as Banff National Park. So it was insanely busy. I actually pulled up the stats and it said there's only 4 million visitors per year. But honestly, most of those visitors are there in the mid to later part of July and all of August. So it's it's just super crowded, heavily condensed in just a couple of months. The same way Glacier ends up being really crowded because there's just so many people in a limited couple of months when you actually go to visit. So... Um, but none of the U.S. parks really, I feel, are as busy as Banff was. Banff was insane. One of the park rangers, I guess they're not actually called park rangers up there, interpretive specialists. Anyway, they told us that it was the sixth most visited world site. So I don't know if that's entirely true, but um, it sure felt like it. It was super busy. It's super international. And we thought that maybe Canada Day was the reason that it was so busy, but following other people and other families who went up to Banff later in July and through August, they had it even worse than we did, far worse than we did. So obviously it wasn't even that busy the time of the year we went and we thought it was insane. So if you are going, just know that it's going to be busy. And part of that means planning out your trip and then trying to pick one, maybe two things a day that you can actually go see because you might have 10 things on your list that you want to go see and there is no way you're going to be able to make that happen. Um, I'm going to talk about four main sites that people like to see or that we saw and just focus on those. But um, like I said, on a given day, pick one and maybe two things if you're lucky that you will get to see in the day because that's just the way it is between the parking situation and the shuttles and time limitations. There's just not really time for more. Oh, little side note, dogs are welcome in the national parks in Canada. So they are allowed to come on the trails and and go on the hikes with you and do all of that fun stuff. Obviously, they have to be on a leash, a six-foot leash. Um, and, you know, our dog sometimes is nicer to some people than others. And so she was, it was a little bit scary when, if she was starting to bark, even out of excitement to people. So not everybody's going to love your dog, but if you do love your dog, you can bring him or her onto the trails and they can enjoy hanging around at the national park, which we don't get to do here in the U S. So the way that our day, our, our long Banff day ended up being is we woke up while it was still dark, which was about 5 a.m. Although, honestly, it wasn't dark for very long because they don't even have darkness that long in the summer months. We were there the end of June, well, first part of July. So first part of July, and the sun probably didn't set till 11 p.m.-ish. And by, you know, 5.15, 5.30, it's already coming up. So you don't have a whole lot of hours of darkness which makes it easy to kind of have long days and get a lot in, although you might be tired later. 
We did a quick breakfast and then had quite a long drive because we were so far outside of the park. We had quite a bit of a drive to get up to Moraine Lake. And once you even get to the exit for Moraine Lake from Highway 1, you have, I think, maybe 10 miles that you have to drive in until you're to the Moraine Lake actual lake and parking lot. So we got there about 6.40 a.m. The lot for Moraine Lake, we heard that that time of year was closing by about 8. It actually ended up closing by about 7.30. They had filled up with parking, 7.20, 7.30. So the, the lot, which maybe only has 50 parking spots, will fill up and then you will have no option but to take a shuttle bus to get up there. Now, if you wait till very late in the day, maybe like in the evening as it's starting to get dark, you might be able to, they might open it up and you might be able to get in the parking lot, but it's it's unlikely. And if you really want to see Moraine Lake, then I recommend just making this the first thing that you do in the morning because it is such a limited parking lot. And, um, or you could take the shuttle to it. The thing to know about the shuttles though, we're not a fan of shuttles cause we have little kids and you know, it doesn't always work well on their schedule. But the other thing is that the shuttle lines were insane. So as, as we were watching people throughout the day at Lake Louise, they, they were waiting for three or four shuttles to come through until they could actually get on a shuttle and get to the next location. So it's not like you're saving time you're not saving time. Really, the only thing is that you're getting the ability to go to these places once the parking lots fill and you have no other choice. So if you want to get to Moraine Lake, you have to go super early. So like I said, we got there at 6.40. I heard from people later in August who were trying to get up there by 6 a.m. and the parking lot was already full. So I, you know, I think it's just the time of year. Start tracking and watching and seeing what um, they are saying on like their Instagram feeds and stuff and just trying to see what they say the parking lot is filling up at so that you can get there in time before that if you want to get up there. And why do you want to see Moraine Lake? Because the images and the view of it and just feeling that whole scenery is spectacular. It's absolutely beautiful. It has that amazing bluish green water that is common to those glacier lakes. And there's all these logs that were broken down, these trees that had fallen, and there's all these logs that are along the base of the lake when you first walk up to it. And it makes for these amazing pictures. So it's funny now, even later, I can look at a picture and I can say right away, that's Moraine Lake because of those logs that are down there. There's also a small hike you can do along some of the boulders that'll take you up above the lake. So you kind of get that bird's eye view of the lake down below you. We didn't do that hike because we were trying to just kind of walk a little bit along the lake and get to see it and enjoy it. And then we wanted to head over to Lake Louise and make sure we could park there for the day because that was our plan. So we headed over to Lake Louise and we got there by 740, which for us at the first part of July, that worked out. We were one of the last probably 40 spots, maybe not even that, maybe 20 spots. So it wasn't quite full, but it was pretty close to filling up. So I'm sure by eight o'clock it was entirely full. We went down to view the lake and we got to see, we kind of walked along by the Fairmont Hotel, which is absolutely beautiful. And then we were able to go up to the lake and read some of the information graphics and see the lake while it was still calm 
and nobody was out on the lake yet. N- nobody was out in the canoes or kayaks or anything. Um, the mist was kind of down into the water and it was really fogged in. So we couldn't see any of the mountains really in the background, but it did kind of make for some cool images. We decided to hike around kind of an easy trail that just goes around part of the lake. That trail can continue and you can go further up and you can even go all the way out to um, a hut for the climbers that used to hike up along there. We weren't going to take the girls on that. We just wanted to take them on a smaller hike that the, we wouldn't have so many tears and stuff on, on doing. There's two different tea houses that you can hike to from Lake Louise as your base. And we decided to go to the closer of the two, which is Lake Agnes. The other one was further away. I think it was maybe about six miles, five or six miles. And of course, you've got it round trip. So that was just too much for our kids to do. Lake Agnes was only about two miles in distance. And I didn't think it was a huge elevation gain because I was thinking I was reading something in feet and I was reading it in meters. So it ended up being quite a bit of a of a hike up. And I would say it was maybe even a moderate hike. You definitely want to make sure you have hiking boots on so you have some ankle support. Um, the road is pretty well kind of um, beat down along the way. Not necessarily a lot of rocks or loose gravel or anything that is a risk, but you do have a bit of a climb up because you're going to climb all the way up and then be able to look down on Lake Louise, which is pretty spectacular. So Lake Agnes was super cool. One of the notes about the start of the trail, at the start of the trail, they have a Parks Explorers box. So the Explorers program is part of the Canadian Parks. Um, it's kind of like their Junior Ranger program. And it's it's pretty equivalent. They'll have a little booklet, and the kids can work through the booklet. And when they finish the booklet, they bring it back to one of the visitor centers or one of the designated places where they have their park rangers, interpretive specialists, I think they're called. And Banff area, I think they had five different programs. So they had one for Lake Louise, and then they had one for the hot springs that's downtown that is no longer a working hot spring, so it's more of a museum now. Um, they had, I think they had just Banff town in general, and I forget what the other two were. We only did two of them. We did the Banff general one, and we did the Lake Louise. So as you start the trail for the Lake Agnes hike, there's just a box that's sitting there up on a post, and they have the booklets, the Parks Explorers booklets. And they have a little stamp to them, so you can stamp the booklet on the trail that you're doing, and then the kids can finish up the the booklets and then bring them back to the visitor center and they get a prize. I don't know what the prize usually is, but our prize were these dog tags that say Banff National Park. And then I think on the other side, it um, has like a Canadian flag or something. And then the other one had Lake Louise. So they ended up kind of being these necklace dog tags and the girls still have them. So they liked them. They don't do badges there, so it's a little bit different. But if you are looking for something kind of educational and your kids are used to the Junior Ranger program, then look ahead of time and find out where the Explorers booklets are for the park that you're going to because this this isn't just at Banff. This is all the Canadian parks. And you can pick up these packets and, and do the activities. So that's a lot of fun. As you continue hiking up to Lake Agnes, like I said, it's kind of a moderate hike. 
have good hiking shoes, have layers because we started the hike and we were freezing. We were in our hats and our gloves because at seven o'clock in the morning, it was really cold by the lake. There was still snow up on the mountain as you go further up. So it was cold. But by the time we'd been hiking up all that elevation, we were sweating. So you want to be sure you have layers and you want to have rain gear because you know there's a good chance there's a little bit of a rainfall. You see two lakes on this hike. So you see Mir Lake, which is really beautiful. And that's kind of probably two-thirds of the way up there, um, maybe three-quarters of the way up there. You have Mir Lake, which is really beautiful to look around. And then if you keep hiking, you kind of get to a point where there's a staircase and there's a beautiful waterfall that you can see and take pictures of. And above that is Lake Agnes. So Lake Agnes is up there. There's a couple of places where you can kind of sit or rocks you can sit on. And the tea house is up there. The tea house is so cool. So it's just this wooden cabin, this log cabin that's up there. The staff that works at the tea house are actually hiking in with their backpacks every day or every day that they work. They're bringing up all the food that's going to be served to people. So they hike up all the food every day and then they have to hike out the trash. They have a little bit of a wood-burning oven that's up in the back, and they're actually baking the breads right there at the tea house, which is incredible. And they accepted U.S. dollars because we weren't going to be in Canada very long. We didn't bother converting our money to Canadian dollars. We had our U.S. dollars, and at some of the stores, like the grocery store, that was fine. They could take that. Um, Other places wouldn't take it, but fortunately, the Agnes Tea House takes it because they do not take credit cards up there. There's no internet service for them to be able to process cards. So you have to make sure you have some cash with you, but they do take American cash. So that works out well. It was definitely worth the hike. All of us agreed. It was our favorite experience of our time in Banff. Um, So super cool and such a unique thing. The other two places to talk about are Johnston Canyon, which um, we intended to hike. Actually, later in the day, we wanted to hike this, although the girls were pretty exhausted. The parking lot was super full. This The Johnston Canyon is actually located on what is the old highway for... It kind of runs next to Highway 1, but it's more of a scenic route. It's a little bit slower. I think there might be a tunnel, if I remember correctly. So you might not be able to do this with your RV, but we were in our Jeep at this time, and the parking lot was full. We maybe could have waited or looked around, but we were also pretty tired from hiking that day, and I don't think the girls were going to do another hike. Oh, and it was raining as well. So if it's really rainy, it's hard to really rally the troops to get them to, to keep hiking. But Johnston Canyon is really beautiful. There's some really nice waterfalls along the hike, and um, it's an area that people definitely try to go visit when they go to Banff. And then another place is the Hot Springs. So this is within downtown Banff. There's actually an old Hot Springs that's now a museum, so you can go there more of an educational component and being able to learn about this early Hot Springs, but they don't open it up to actual use. They do have one in Banff, though. It's a little bit smaller, and from what I heard from people, a lot of people actually prefer to go to Radium Hot Springs, which is over more in Jasper National Park. So if you're taking some time and doing a loop through Jasper, that might be the better one to check out. Um, But if you don't have time for that and you really want a hot springs, there is one here in downtown Banff. If you have time, Jasper National Park is 
would be really cool to see. We did not have time on this trip, but next September when we head back, we are planning to spend more time actually in Jasper. We heard that the uh, Jasper is just to the north of Banff. So if you continue on Highway 1, as you keep heading kind of northwest, you're going to go into Jasper National Park. And we heard that the lakes are just as amazing, if not maybe more so, but it's not nearly as crowded. So that's more up our alley to head somewhere where you still have these amazing views, but you don't have so many people. So I look forward to doing that next time around. And then the other place to check out if you're going to Banff is Glacier National Park. So I would imagine that you're going to Glacier first and then you're tagging Banff on on part of your trip. But if you weren't planning to do that, if you're traveling through Canada, be sure to just drop down and go to Glacier National Park if you have never been to Glacier. Um, Definitely, it's an amazing experience. We actually have a whole other podcast on just Glacier and the places we stayed. So super exciting and cool and just a wonderful place to visit. And when we come back, we're going to talk about where we stayed while in Banff. So as I mentioned before, we did not book early enough to actually stay within Banff. I think when we head back, we're going to try to stay in Tunnel Mountain Campground. There's Tunnel Mountain and Tunnel Mountain 2, and I don't know much of the difference other than maybe one has uh, more sites or it's a little bit newer. Uh, But both of them are really located centrally right in Banff, which is nice. There's also, I think, a campground that's up near Lake Louise which would probably be nice as well. Lake Louise is probably a good half hour drive or so north of where the downtown Banff exit is up the highway. So depending on which one you want to see more or want to be closer to, that might determine where you want your site. We couldn't find anything that was within Banff. So then I had to just start looking at where are other campgrounds in the area that even get us remotely close. And we ended up staying at the Bow Valley Campground which was on the Bow River near Canmore. So Canmore is kind of your last town that you hit before, as you're heading on Highway 1, as you head from Calgary and you're heading west on Highway 1 towards Banff, Canmore is the last town that you're going to hit before you get to Banff National Park. So you don't have to pay an entrance to get into Canmore. You're not dealing with any of the park fees yet. So that's kind of a nice feature. And some friends of ours that have stayed at Banff for longer periods of time, a lot of them have said that they really loved Canmore. They would go into Canmore to eat meals and they just really enjoyed it. We heard that from a few different people. So we didn't have time to really hang out in town, but we hear that it's a nice place. We did like the campground that we stayed at. It was a really nice big site. It was wooded. You really feel like you're just in nature. The Bow River is beautiful. So it's a really nice spot to check out. Um, It was right off of Highway 1. So if you were outside, you could hear the highway noise. And if you were in a tent or something, you'd definitely hear the highway noise. But at nighttime, when we were inside of the RV, it wasn't an issue at all. So no problems there. We had a fire pit at our site. We ended up just using our little propane guy because we often do. It's just easier. And um, and the price was right. So I think it was $42 per night. And well, that's Canadian dollars. So, you know, a little bit cheaper for the U.S. dollars, but it wasn't wasn't a lot. It was maybe, you know, 80 to 90 dollars total for the for the two nights for us to stay there. They do not necessarily allow alcohol at the campsites in Canada, which is just so foreign to me. You think about a campground in America not allowing alcohol at it. I 
you know, I don't even know if they'd survive. But um, so they have some pretty strict rules about not having alcohol at the campground. I think because of Canada Day, they were allowing small amounts of alcohol. We didn't really bring alcohol with us because to cross the border, you actually are limited on how much you can have with you. I did forget to mention that, but um, the limitation, I think it's a 12-pack of beer. Don't quote me, though, because we don't really travel with beer, so I don't remember exactly. A bottle of wine or one smaller bottle of hard alcohol. So that's it. Not all of those. One of those is all that you're allowed to bring across the border. And um, part of that might be because they just don't want this alcohol culture where you're camping and stuff and you have this alcohol with you. That that seems pretty evident by the limitations on alcohol at the campsites. Um, but part of that is probably also because the alcohol tax is very expensive. So my husband wanted to buy a few local beers in cans just to get a feel for some of the Canadian brews. And we were amazed at how expensive it was to buy alcohol in Canada. So uh, just so you know, the campsites are not going to be like, um, you know, a party place where you're hanging out with your neighbors. That the other thing is that the you have to be sure that you are keeping your food in your RV or you're keeping it in bear boxes. So if you're tent camping or something or you have a pop-up, you're going to have to use these bear boxes. And even within the city of Banff, their trash cans are all bear boxes because the we saw a couple black bears and they were huge black bears. And then of course they have grizzly bears. So it, the bears are no joke and they make sure that there's protections in place and they expect us to be smart about it as well. So I'll have a video review of the campground that we stayed at. So the Bow Valley campground, it's considered part of the Bow River Provincial Park, but that park is huge. So there's, or there's two parts to the park. So actually our, our, our GPS was trying to take us to the kind of the Southern part of the park and the campground where we were at was way North of that point. So, um, we were a little confused on where we needed to go, but, um, it was a very nice campsite and it had us close enough to everything that we wanted to see. But like I said, if you can book your stuff in January, you'll be even better off because you'll be right in the action. So overall, I hope this was helpful. I hope this was useful information and that it helps in planning your trip. And if you have any questions, please feel free to reach out to me. I'm on Instagram at RV Homeschool or on Facebook. You can find us there. Or you can put a comment in the um, video on the campground review and we're happy to answer any questions. Thanks so much for listening and we'll see you out in the wilderness. <music>